Welcome to The Other Storyteller, the podcast sparking conversation in the arts and media world. I'm Maria, a filmmaker, entrepreneur, and curious artist from Colombia, living in the UK and Canada. The world is full of stories of cultures, places, and people, and I want to meet the most inspiring artists and storytellers from across cultures to uncover the stories that become art. Welcome to another episode of The Other Storyteller. Today we have another really exciting guest and you guys might be thinking, you know, director of photography or um, I don't know, something very traditionally like what your mind think is film or storytelling. But today I brought someone so incredible and a completely different type of storytelling that is definitely very, very um, important to telling stories in film, but also that in its own form, it tells stories. Please say hello to Rina Ong. She is an incredible fashion stylist. She actually was the person that did the styling in my grad film back in the day so patiently, um, but she has done incredible work and please say hello. Hi, Rina. How are you? Hi, guys. I can't believe. Thank you. So I can't believe I'm here. And I can't believe like we just discussed. I, we haven't seen each other for six years. And now you're out in the UK. And now I'm here in Seoul. Thanks for having me. This is so exciting. I have to say that, you know, I love uh, fashion. And I don't know that that's something that I've actually talked about in here. But um, it is kind of I at some point just wanted to do fashion film uh, was my passion. And so I've been really following your career, everything that you've done. And you guys have to see Rena's work. It's so freaking incredible. It is another level of storytelling. It is so, I would say, almost explorative of cultures. Um, different trends or, or not even trends it goes way beyond trend it goes into innovation i would almost say um oh <laughs> you're so you speak of me so highly but thank you your support means a lot it especially like since you and i were classmates i i don't think i really have kept in touch with a lot of people who have been following my work as closely as you have so it means a lot to me and it's truly a huge surprise well you know i definitely think that you are out there on the fashion um, scene. And and I have a couple other people that I also follow really closely that I met at some point in my life that I'm like, whoa, like this fashion work is just another level. Um, and and I wanted to bring you on. I wanted to, to have people start thinking more about the storytelling that they can incorporate into their practice as well through working with incredible fashion stylists that, you know, can take that whole idea to the next level and to not leave kind of like their stylist to the last thought. Well, <laughs> thank you. I'm ready to answer, ready for all of these questions. And I, I'm also excited to share what I have to offer because I think um, I have also my own opinions on the industry and um, we're all very dedicated to our own practice and I'm excited to share mine. I am. Um, I love that. Um, and I think that it's a perspective that is not often heard in, in our industry. So let's dive deep into this. I want to know, first of all, what you're up to. I know you just mentioned that you are in Seoul, Korea. 
Why did you move to Seoul? What are you trying to achieve there? Okay, well, you're all going to laugh at me and be like, oh my God, this girl is delusional. But in order to succeed in this industry, you kind of have to be a little bit delusional. Uh, what happened was, what gave me this idea to come to Seoul, it was always an idea in passing. Um, but I am really here on a leap of faith. And what kind of triggered it was around 2020, I applied for three jobs for different companies. Um, and um, one of them was for Gucci, one of them was for Oakenfort, and one of them was for Essence, a company based out in Montreal. And in one day, like just talk about bad timing. In one day, I get all my rejection letters and I was crying in my office for the longest time. And then my friend says, I really don't think your work, what you're capable of and your work is suited for the country that you're in. Maybe you should be in a place that's willing to accept much more exciting ideas or shares the same perspective you might have in fashion. Um, have And then I just said it as a joke. Okay, you know what? Maybe I should just go to Korea. And then right around midnight, I get this notification from the government saying that there is a bit of a reduction in student loans because they got rid of interest. So my friend's like, oh, maybe that's a sign from the universe. You should go to Korea. And then ever since I just set that intention, I um, just kept going and now I'm here in Seoul. If anybody's going to be fact-checking me on that whole interest story, there was that period, just think around 2020, if anybody still has student loans out in Vancouver, that's what happened. And yeah, basically, I just set the intention to come here and a lot of very fortuitous things started happening. And uh, yeah. I that's love it. that. <laughs> you know, I think that intention definitely it has to be a guiding light in our day to day and, and as filmmakers, storytellers, you know what, if you don't have a little bit of belief and imagination, you're not going to get anywhere. My opinion. No, sorry. Exactly. <laughs> no, no, you need you need to have you need to have some sort of purpose and intention of coming there. But I think also on the practical perspective, though, I'm sure like everybody's just like, OK, this girl's officially crazy. All right. The practical reason is um, I worked for 10 years in fashion business. I worked in management. I worked every department in a fashion store from creating directives in inventory training. Like I've done I've done the groundwork. One of the things I've noticed, though, because I used to do shopping, I had clientele I would do shopping for for this company. And I would also do private shopping myself. My clients are mostly Chinese and they also like to shop and be styled in the same way as the Koreans do. And I think just right now with the Korean wave and Korean culture, Korean movies, Korean style, like all of that whole thing, um, they're really trying to make a mark to see where they sit on this world. And they're trying to borrow from other cultures. And I think what is good about being in Seoul is just like, you know, this is pretty much going to be the nexus for a lot of cultures. And when we look back and we're probably far older, we're all going to remember the impact that Asia is making. And at that centerfold, Korea might be that nexus. So I'm here to see what that's going to mean for me and my career and what kind of impact I can make. So I think <laughs> I think that is super interesting. I really believe that becoming uh, an anticipating trends and anticipating development in an industry is a skill that very few have and mm -hmm. even if a lot of people had it i don't think that it's a 
something that people always take a leap of faith on and and, and take advantage of that. Um, we all kind of try to be where fashion already is and we forget that there is a great or like even film by the way um but we'll always forget that you know like do you want to be a korean filmmaker in korea or do you want to be a filmmaker in new york and or los angeles and obviously it's great to think about you know los angeles is a land of opportunity there's a lot of filmmakers and you definitely get a lot of that but there's also you know going and creating an industry and becoming um almost like a big fish in a small pond and i don't want to say that korea is a small pond but it's a developing pond where you would you know you have the opportunity to rise um probably faster to to a spotlight that could be really interesting and and to meet a lot of people that eventually are going to also be very well known and recognized i hope so well to be fair to be honest like i'm already here for about a month and a half and you know i'm not here okay like even though i came here on purely on instinct the other half it's like it's still not going to be easy regardless like starting your life and starting your resource from the bottom it's always not going to be easy but it doesn't mean that I'm not willing to try mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah I think that that is a, a very interesting point um moving to another country as a creative is incredibly difficult because film fashion a lot of these things actually work in terms of network um, and i think that most of the people hearing the podcast would know this at this point but we're still in a world where if you want to get a job in the film industry you're either um in the union or something like that or you have network and then your network mm -hmm. is going to recommend you um, but you move to a new country and you don't have network so you have to take often pa jobs and things like that uh which i mean you did plenty of in university mm -hmm. <laughs> and, <Bruh>. and, and <laughs> definitely you know it, it's super strange it's like how do you navigate a world where you are super capable of of doing things but you know you're starting you're from new. scratch exactly right i mean the funny thing too is it's like to be fair um i'm sure we're probably going to cover it some part at the end as the reason like why i ended up leaving the city where you and i met when why i ended up leaving vancouver it's just a matter of opportunity and i think the thing that frustrated me was just that for the longest time it had been like um purely on the pa or collaborative side but it wasn't yielding anything to grant me some sort of stability or future or career because like to make this sound really plain not a lot of not a lot of fashion stylists are getting paid it is purely the things that we are doing is for the creative pursuit and allowing us to stand out and then hopefully yielding into some sort of gig but the city we're from was not granting it so I had to go somewhere else where there were more opportunities and it kind of it is really extremely difficult because in Vancouver I had relationships with young artists, schools, designers, and brands, and um, professional relationships that granted me access to their products. Here, like completely at zero, with my Korean being at a complete deficit. Right, like I only know basic Korean. My comprehension's so-so, but I cannot network as strongly as. Um, I can when I'm in Vancouver but what I'm definitely grateful for is that just by focusing purely on my intention and practice as a fashion stylist I really just 
told myself, okay, you're planning on going to Korea, focus on making like the best possible portfolio because now you have to make it to the point where you cannot speak Korean, but you have to let your portfolio speak for itself, which has mm -hmm. actually yielded into some really positive turnouts while I'm here. That is, that is super cool. I think that one thing that a lot of people tend to forget is the importance of developing your portfolio, even when you have a full-time yes. job, even when you have uh, things going on. I have to say, and this is so freaking embarrassing, I have not updated my demo reel since 2017. 2017. Like, Seriously, that's like, that's ridiculous. I do have a website that I created last year <laughs> because I was like, oh, you know what? I'm going to try to apply for some internships and things like that. And, and, you know, as a producer, I find it hard. I have to say, um, like, what do you show? You know, like, obviously everything that's on screen, you helped produce, but at the same time, it's not like, oh, my work is going to speak for itself because People might think like, you know what, you don't know how many other producers were on set, you don't know uh, what parts you took care of and how much help you had. Like, it's, it's really complicated, but definitely that's the first thing that I say to people when they say, I want to study film or my cousin wants to study film, can you please talk to them? And the first thing I say is, do you have a portfolio? And if not, go develop it. Or if you already have a portfolio, does your portfolio reflect the work you've had to do or the way the work you wish to do because there is a huge difference if for example you were doing um styling at a store and things like that and that was your portfolio do you want to stay as a stylist of that store and that type of creative direction that you are under or do you want to go and do like super experimental stuff and and if you want to do the experimental stuff you need to have samples that reflect that for sure a hundred percent. I mean, the same thing also goes for the fashion styling, because um, before you even, we started this podcast as well, you're also tell, asking me, like, what do you want to be referred to? I said specifically a fashion stylist, because there's so many different type of styling. There's food styling, interior design, blah, blah, blah. And then on the fashion styling perspective, you need to having an having a collection of work and then looking at it collectively and knowing okay what type of direction am I going to take or even like what type of storyteller I am what you know what is my intention creating all of this this is going to be essential for your drive in this industry because it's one of those things that it's what sets you apart not only sets you apart it's also what's going to basically like I said it's just going to give you it's going to give you that motivation and meaning like this is the sort of direction I like to take with my work Mm -hmm. definitely mm -hmm. i think that you know it's it's uh in terms of intention setting mm -hmm. if you don't put together a portfolio that reflects your intention you're gonna be at the mercy of whatever people want to give you and exactly yeah and and we all take jobs as i've said a million times i think in every episode we all take jobs that are not the ideal job to get to the final job but you have to freaking put it out there where you want to go and you know and and it's it's everything you know like i i don't want to necessarily work as a producer making always the same kind of things i want to do things that are more creative i i want to explore different things i want to make maybe a little bit of a difference in the industry how can i make that happen and 
and you're not going to get anywhere if you don't start doing it on your own time. Um, so that's super important. Mm -hmm. Well, I have a question for you, actually, and, and this is going to take a little bit of a turn because I'm actually super interested in this. This has been like a conversation that has been super ongoing for me in the last few weeks, but you are actually an animator um, as well. So Rina, Rina, when we were in Emily Carr in Vancouver, um, was actually studying animation and I was like, I love your styling. Can you be my stylist in my film, please? Um, and I will tell you, she's so freaking resourceful. I I had no idea how this was working and, and, and she works me through everything. And I also did a period piece, which I it's, it actually makes it really difficult uh, to shop for period stuff. But <laughs> how did you go from animator to stylist and what's the connection there? Well, uh, <laughs> okay, everybody, please grab a cup and sit down. It might be a little bit of a long story. Um, well, I wanted to be a specifically I was in animation because I wanted to get into video game design. At my core, I, I think like I really like storytelling in details and I love how costume design and character design is very reflective of character development. So, you know, for example, Game of Thrones is very important when you look at the details in their costumes because it's reflecting their growth or um, a huge nerd of Ubisoft and Assassin's Creed. That was the industry I specifically wanted to get and work with. But the reason why I pivoted specifically now focusing on fashion is I also really, really like fashion. I like clothes. And I think you and I bonded over our love of Alexander McQueen. That's how you and I ended up becoming yes. <laughs> Like, yes, I love it because it is storytelling. It is storytelling. And then mm -hmm. um, what, why I pivoted was because I was extremely depressed in, Emily, in my school. And I wasn't really sure why. And also I was going through a lot of really sad personal things um and I was and the benefit of going into Emily Carr was because this is such an artistic and sensitive environment you had access into therapy going into fashion styling was my therapist's suggestion <laughs> that actually I did not see it coming yeah not see it coming at all I thought you were gonna well, say like oh I just started like exploring and but no, because like around this okay, around this time also like I was okay, I was working four jobs when I was in Emily Carr. I don't think anybody really knew that about me, but I was yeah, I would work one morning in an office and then go to school and then once school is over, I would work my retail job and then after my retail job, I would be also doing commissions for costuming. So that's why my fashion stylist, like sorry, my therapist was like um, have you ever considered going into fashion styling? Like there's such a huge movie industry here. And since you already have a background in it, why don't you give yourself, you know, try your hand in it? Because I'm a nerd. I'm sorry. <laughs> I work. I um, I used to cosplay. And uh, probably if anybody is has energy, you definitely will find my old cosplay photos on the Internet. <laughs> it's very I bad. <laughs> oh, God. It is not. It is not bad. It's just a different vibe. <laughs> a different vibe. Definitely I, not something that I have done. But um, I used to love costumes too. So there you go. But okay, like I was like full on nerd. I have full friends on. who full on nerd. Like I was engaged in this, and I was helping my friends with their costume. 
And it was through my therapist's suggestion that I tried costume design. So I don't know if you remember Lawrence Lamb from school. Yes. So mm -hmm. we were all in this. He and I are in the same um, study group from art history. And then he made an announcement to the class like I'm looking to uh, have a crew because I'm doing a pretty huge film, which was also a period film. And then he, I said to him, hey, um, I have a bit of a background in costume design. I've never done styling before, but I would like to try my hand in it. And that's where, like, by working in this film, everything clicked. My background as a character designer, my background as a concept artist, like, reading the script and reading and, like, understanding his concept. Like, how do you tell a story through color and clothes? Because I, and that's one of the things that I'm really good at. I'm very color sensitive. And then um, it just kind of all came together. And then there is, if anybody watches The Blue Jet, the styling is not my best but please everybody forgive me it is my first film um there is a little bit of intention and like poetry coming as an exchange through the clothes as much as like the movie the movie the blue jet itself is quite exciting even for a student film that's one of the things that I enjoyed and I think you sense that same sort of approach I had when you and I were discussing your film because I was really mm -hmm. drilling you on like the script like how do you want me to um, put the two protagonists apart is there some sort of color story you had in mind and then when you and I spoke I gave you a color board because you were very particular on what type of red you <laughs> wanted so it's just like that it's like like I said like I'm a person who's very appreciative of details and it's one of those little things that you know just like good art you watch it once but you can't help but want to look back at it again because the more mm -hmm. you look at it the story becomes different and that's why I love what I do I have to say, like, when I watched The Blue Jet, I was like, I need Rina to be my stylist in my, <laughs> in my project. I really, I, <laughs> I, I don't know, you're saying that it wasn't your best work. I thought it was incredible. Um, just for people that don't have a little bit of background. So The Blue Jet was, I think, was it set in Taiwan? It was, it was a full yeah. on period piece. It was yeah. difficult because this was mm -hmm. set in 1970s Taiwan. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And this was during a period when Taiwan was in lockdown. So there was no images, not a lot of images of what was going on in Taiwan during that period. I had to reference a lot of like old Polaroids of Lawrence's family and also what was going on in Asia. Like how were people dressing up? It was difficult, but I had fun. Mm -hmm. And you, you see, like there is a, obviously when you, you come to that, there is a part of, um, what you're able to gather through research, but when you don't have research is how do you fill in the gaps with a little bit of imagination and, and with availability of what you can get your hands on. Um, but it was so incredible like that, that piece, I have to say also shout out to Lawrence. Um, so incredible for a student film, um, just people that take it to a whole new level that don't see their work as I'm, oh, I'm being a student, so I'm going to make these. No, I'm a filmmaker and I'm going to make these. And I am a filmmaker that is going to school, that is trying to to receive something else. Because realistically, when we all go to a school like Emily Carr, you already have a portfolio. You already have made films, whether they're great, whether they're not so great. You already have tried your hand at whatever it is that you're doing. So I love that. <laughs> I mean, like, no, I think at the same time, really, the purpose is like, no matter what you apply yourself to, you have to apply it to the best of your ability. And even if you don't do well, you've learned something. 
and I think for any fashion stylist, like for in terms of advice, the best the best and fastest way for you to learn is working in film. It's like they drill you and you have yeah. to be prepared for anything and everything. And it really tests your ability. Your It really tests your admin skills and your resourcing skills. Film is such mm-hmm. a great film. My experience in film was a great teacher, definitely. And mm-hmm. it was a little bit for me, though. One of the reasons why working in that film was very important for me because I was the lead stylist. I was the lead costumer. But the people working under me has been in the industry for years. And they were so kind to give me all of the tips and tricks and all of the advice. I was learning from them as well as I was learning on the job. That I did not know. Um, I, I do remember that he had a lot of like seasoned industry professionals in that set because I was actually so I was in that set as a I, wanna, I can't remember if I was I, there as a camera assistant or a PA what was I doing you were definitely you were definitely a PA I remember yeah. that was a really that was a really long production I think we were there until three yeah oh, um, it was <laughs> yeah it was and it was so freaking exciting um I also wanted to just kind of put this out there it's not related necessarily to you but related to what we're talking about the energy that Lawrence brought into the sets um and I think that he continues to do that he starts with kind of like this ritual that he has um and he does like this inspiring poet poem or like it almost sounds like a prayer it's just like he just gets people going and and he's like vibrant and 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 that I think comes through into everything from the like acting to the styling to the the um the dp work but now that we're talking about this um i wanted to talk to get your thoughts on something that i actually came to realize much later Mm -hmm. in life um so for me i was always i wanted to go into camera and i loved cinematography but I started to realize that the cinematography that you're actually able to get, it's so closely related to the set design and the costume design. You will not get the same without the correct stylist, definitely. What are your thoughts on that? I'm 100% on board of that. Cinematog- like, It's really funny to me because, well, okay, maybe funny is not the right term, but I've also had the privilege of having been interviewed by a lot of new um, photographers, especially photographers trying to get into the fashion industry because fashion photography is really its own league. Um, and it's for cinematography, it feels broad. But the advice I tell them is if you want to be good in fashion photography, you need to be very good at cinematography. You need mm-hmm. to know how to tell stories in images. Like everything is, you know, it's like, you know, there are people who are just like, it's a, it's a slang. Like, you know, in the book, the curtains are blue because the curtains are blue, not because the person is sad. You're establishing mm-hmm. a mood. You're establishing some sort of story. It's how all of these things are beginning to intersect to create something that is substantial. Like I said, you like you want every frame to kind of matter. And mm-hmm. uh, what really sets apart good work to subpar work also is not only is it just, you know, the co- just a cohesion between a director, set design, art director, and stylist, 
not just you all have to kind of be one brain you guys all have to exchange each you guys all have to capture that same exact image or improve upon the um concept because mm -hmm. when it if you guys are just because that's what's really good about the collaborative culture even though I'm very critical of it what's good about collaborative culture is you begin to understand what kind of worker you are what kind of people can you work with so um yeah I would say that it's extremely important because if not your film is just going to be like every other film mm -hmm. so definitely like also it's also how do I which one movie is uh really good for cinematography and it completely slipped my mind but it has it's that movie about oil rigging i can't remember there will be blood ah. so if any when people are listening the reason why i'm bringing up this movie and when i say like all of this art direction is coming together i'm trying not to build bring up something super stylistic or fantasy like like harry potter or um like uh wes anderson this if you're going to be watching something like there will be blood yes it's a period film having this cohesion in, in cinema like for cinematography cohesion between the art director stylist and all of this coming together to create this what's important also is believability that's why and that is what's going to set you apart you can take creative liberties in styling for sure like uh, not all of it is like, you know, not all of it is going to be to the T of this is what they were wearing during this time period. No, you want this to be completely believable because you want the people looking at it and watching or paying attention to be completely immersive. Right. So yeah. that's my answer. And I will say something that to me, it's kind of this is the way I see it. Mm -hmm. Texture, mm -hmm. the texture of a film tells your story so much. We sometimes tend to forget something and is that the way that light will bounce is through the texture of the things that you're wearing. So if you're going to do something super futuristic, you're going to have a lot of really sleek and light reflecting textures. Whereas when you have something that's a little bit older that you're going to have that kind of like rich fiber clothing and that that mm -hmm. is what gives that in a way like a grind to those yes to those films like there will be blood like how how could you set that up if you didn't have very t textured clothing that almost resembled that soil that they are going through like it it makes such a huge difference such mm -hmm. a huge difference when when the person that you're working with really 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 understands periods not just as a period thing like you know like it's not the same in in getting a cotton shirt made now in H&M that has never been worn as something that has been worn that has that texture that um I remember you drilled on me quite a lot and I only understood it after <laughs> <laughs> yeah when we were doing your film right I think what did I I did I can't remember what I did in that film but all I remember, okay, all I remember was I had, a, I had a lot of fun despite a lot of the chaos. And my most memorable memory was that it rained the night before and I was, and there was still wet snow and I was lugging like two huge suitcases. And the poor people who were carrying my shit, they're like, what's inside this? Fur coats. They're all fur coats. Like, yes. What? Yes. 
because we had like the fur coats and the really thick wool stuff that you were like yes. maria you cannot buy it at h&m you have oh. to go get it from like a like what what was it like a consignment to, store yes. kind of thing I went through Community Thrift and Vintage when they used to have their unisex store. Right now, they focus more on their smocks, and they have another op they have another location. I don't remember, but yeah, they used to have all of these um, grandpa sweaters, and then I also had to get like these really old denim as well. And then when we were trying to find boots, I'm like, no, we can't find new boots. They need to be like somebody has worked in these boots, or else it's going to stand out in the rest mm -hmm. of the crowd. Things like that, mm -hmm. right? Texture, believability. Pay believability. Attention. Yes. Exactly. And I think that that's something that really like, uh, you know, if you're just making a film and you want to get it out of the way and whatever, like, it's not going to look the same, my friends. It's not going to look the same. You're going to be like, huh, something's off. It's probably that. It's probably the fact that nobody has ever worn those clothes. It really mm -hmm. makes such a difference. And I think advertising is different a little bit, like you can get away with so much because everything can be brand new, but film definitely can't. And with that said, I do want to make a parenthesis because I know there's a lot of people wanting to make films, period films that, you know, the prices of making a period mm -hmm. film can be very pro prohibitively because you cannot just have people wear whatever they have at home, but they have to, you have to get costumes. And I remember I was a Baroque student um, and I had very little money to make. Actually, like it cost me a good money, but um, I just don't want to tell the story because I think it belongs to you. But how were you able to help me afford making a period film with no fucking money <laughs> thrift stores baby thrift stores and i really think uh thrift stores thrift stores um they what i did though is because the store um that had all of these old denim and sweaters which would cost significantly way more now by the way um mm -hmm. they allowed me to pull their pieces at 30 percent of the cost as mm -hmm. long as obviously everything comes back in the correct condition and that's what helped me save money on your end. And then also I was borrowing pieces like from my neighbors who had old, like, like all of these old pieces as well as from yours. And then really my background as a cosplayer and in costume design also came to play because like all of these old shirts, like I was deliberately, you know, DIYing, aging them. Mm -hmm. And then in yes. the industry anyway, you have people who do that as a profession, they age pieces, right? But then, mm -hmm. yeah, DIY, you... You really have to be crafty. And also in my industry too, like, you know, um, one of the things, it's the same thing with styling too. What really is going to keep you afloat is your ability to have resources. If you don't have resources, you have to find a way because mm -hmm. in a professional setting, especially in film, what I notice a lot with directors is I don't care how you do it as long as you get it done. Yeah, 100%. But, and yep, I will say, okay, let's put it this way. I think that there is i don't know how you do it as long as you get it done that i have conflicting feelings like if you're I in a big too. film set like i totally understand why because there's if you were to get super micromanager of everything that's going on it's it would be impossible but i think if you're making a short film or like you know if you're making a period film period you should really work closely with your 
like our department like these people are doing work that is so complex and um even with my film say like i learned so much from what you were doing like to to kind of summarize what we were doing we would go to the stores we would select the pieces and then we would um you know pay like a loan fee like a loaning fee and then bring it back to them and then whatever we didn't bring back because i think i ended up with some things at home that i just found later on in like equipment cases i just paid for that but mm -hmm. that actually gives you tools to understand how you're gonna be able to make your next film you know mm -hmm. because they also like those consignment stores have things that are not so old so things that people could wear today and um it 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 breaks down that barrier of I cannot make a film because it's so expensive. It it really helps you to think, you know, there's ways to make this happen. Um, so I was super, super grateful for that because it also just was a learning experience for me to work with you. Thank you. And you as well, which is great because um, I was really excited by the script that you gave me. Because, and then you really were you know like you were preaching like you said you were working really closely to your art department because like you know like I said in the beginning your first approach with me is reds and I was like okay I'm gonna give you a color board of red what type of red are we talking here yeah so there you go it's an you know it's an, you have to approach your practice with as much passion as possible at least give yourself something to look back on fondly yes definitely I think that um my short film had a lot of flaws um, back in the day, you know, I was I was not as experienced and I was trying to tell a story that now I realize is like a Spanish language film. Um, we talk differently, we we understand the subtext of the culture is quite different from from Canadian or American okay. and and um, you know it, it it had its flaws, but like. I have never learned from something so much in my life. Um, and, and and I will always take that. But okay, let's set a little bit of a chapter break because I wanna talk about your current work. I wanna talk about your fashion work. I wanna talk mm -hmm. about your super conceptual work because it's freaking mind blowing. And I know it was really great working together in my film, but um, mm -hmm. I think that you deserve a spotlight for all the crazy stuff you have done after. Okay. All right. Where do I start? Right. I, I, you know what? Okay. I want to talk a little bit about how you even come up with the concepts. Like how is that collaborative um, work with photographers? Because it's just, it's incredible. Like, damn. You have a favorite? Like, yes. Um, there's the one, the, the one photos that you're doing with like uh, black models the recent one yeah the recent one I, I can't remember what brand that was for but that holy shit that was so integrated between the costume design the style of the photography the models casted were the most beautiful people i've seen in my life like it was just and, and it was like whole like it was not separate pieces you know it just was so incredible how do you come up with this kind of work so okay um before we talk about that photo shoot that one we named it one of us 
I will talk about how we came with that concept, but how I do come up with concepts is just like, um, I don't know. I guess like one of the, my favorite things to do is um, I go out by myself and I really Mm -hmm. like people watching. And Mm -hmm. one of the things I, one of the core reasons why I like my Mm -hmm. work is because not just the storytelling aspects, it's just like, I like to approach my work from a cultural aspect Mm -hmm. because I'm Mm -hmm. a third culture kid as somebody who is Filipino but now I am a Canadian citizen, but I was born in Middle East and now I live in Seoul. And so like people just really fascinate me. And the thing that I question when I look at people is like, okay, why do you do the things that you do? Mm-hmm. And then what can we do to push it a little bit forward? Or what's the story that comes from behind all of this, right? And mm-hmm. I just come up with these like weird little stories in my head and they just have mm-hmm. their own texture and color and it's important for me to work with people who resonate with the same sort of concepts that I have. So Gustavo, who he's mm-hmm. watching this, Gustavo Champs, love him to bits. He's one of my best friends, simply because we have a lot in common, alongside being complete and total goths in our teenage years. But mm-hmm. uh, we both like to tell stories through fashion, and we just wanted to have this very surreal sense that just makes it very hypnotic to look at. So we start off really with something very simple and then we just think, okay, now what can we do to keep pushing it further and further? And I don't know how to explain this properly, even to anybody in the industry, because it just feels very intuitive and instinctive for me. Like um, being able to just look at something and be like, I'm not really trying to look at work simply because of, i sorry, I'm not trying to look at my work simply thinking like, this is going to be the next big trend or nobody has ever done this before. You just, when you, one of the things that's harder to do for artists is you really shouldn't compare yourself to other people. And when you internalize all of that into your own inner world, you just become more focused on what can I do to make it better. And that's the driving force behind all of my concepts. I know they're Mm -hmm. all like a little bit crazy, but um, that's just what's going through my head. Like what, what do people do what they do? Okay, now let's make it into a story. Okay, let's push this further. And then my background as a character designer comes into play and I start sketching all of these people and I sketch different designs. And then that's where my background really, really helps because I'm thinking about, okay, in one look, he's looking this. And then one look, he's looking that. You want to look at everything to be cohesive as a story and viewers can start to apply their own narrative to it despite my intentions. So that's how I came come up with my concepts. As for the fashion shoot for one of us, so for example, um, one of the things that my family had and I had done in 2022 was we moved to the suburbs and I kind of wanted to do a really interesting take on the suburbs, but I wasn't sure how to approach it. And I pitched this to Gustavo, but he's like, okay, um, get your idea a little bit more cohesive. And I'm really inspired by photographers like Nadia Lee Cohen and Petra Collins, But then um, I really wanted to make it mine, figure out how to make it a little bit different. And the story I had in mind was um, it came to me when I was walking around my neighborhood. And what I love is everybody in my neighborhood. And this is in Richmond. They're so unique. I have a neighbor who really loves Tim Burton. So his entire front yard is filled with Tim Burton things. I have a house that's completely pink. Yes, I have a house that's like completely pink and someone that was in the photo shoot. And then I have another house where they have ne- they never take down their Christmas trees. 
and mm-hmm. then yes and then I have another house where she is probably an artist because she keeps a lot of white miniature sculptures on her yard alongside some three like she has three scarecrows so I like know real ones. like actual scarecrows and she would dress oh, them up so... in different it's kind of creepy but she would dress them up in different outfits too depending so on they're the just there chilling they're just, just chilling like... on the yeah she has a, how like, big is this house <laughs> it's like it's it's like a, okay just think of the most tim burton like suburban single floor house with the greenest lawn ever and a white picket fence and then she has these three mannequins sitting on the bench on her garage and they would she would change them so they would be wearing something like during canada day they would wear the canadian flag during halloween they would be wearing some sort of costume or they'd be dressed up like santa during christmas it's yeah, I'm filled with really interesting people. So I'm just like, this would be an interesting place to do a photo shoot. Now, how are we going to make this weird? So I pitched my idea to Gustavo. And so that's why I, like, I really can't take all the credit. Gustavo in Rio, the hair artist, because I wanted to be a little bit like Stepford Wives. But uh, he's like, no, push it more. Make it crazier. Especially because this is your last shoot before you go to Seoul. Mm-hmm. Make it incredibly crazy. And then it's like, okay. So the narr- because the narrative I had in mind was just like the suburbs, especially like white suburban culture, it really enforces this idea of sameness. And as the, you know, to be normal, everybody has to kind of be the same. But what if you cannot escape the idea of being normal? What does this inner world look like? So um, Gustavo pitched the idea, like, can we have some cosplayers? Let's, uh, you know, find the craziest looks that you can make but make it cohesive because it's still a fashion shoot so i love it um, that was that was the idea we had in mind just basically go big or go home so this is actually your neighborhood so this is richmond vancouver i actually hadn't realized it's richmond crazy right (laughs) it's it's really freaking cool and i have a question here and i don't know if it was your idea or whose idea it was but Richmond, for those that don't know, is predominantly an Asian neighborhood, like very, very highly, like high um, Asian population. I don't know what the percentage is, but it might be like it's mostly higher than Chinese. 70. It's, it's higher than 70, mostly Chinese, but recently we're getting a lot of uh, a lot of Chinese, a very small Japanese community. But recently we've been getting a lot of Korean immigrants. And she's not mm-hmm. joking when we say it's very Asian, like the signs are both in English and in Chinese. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, for sure. And, and also like, there's some massive housing there, like there's some mansions that mm-hmm. you need to see, like, and like the luxury cars and everything. So that's why I was like, Oh, I didn't actually connect that because this might actually also be a prejudice. Um, me not I've never been to Asia. I have well, I've been to like the near east they call it in it in spanish so like just the turkish area and israel and stuff like that palestine mm-hmm. but i've never been like in the pacific asian um mm-hmm. side and my experience in canada is that a lot of the asian like um apartments and, and houses and everything like they love like really clean really like um spacious airy things as well um so i was not expecting that there's like someone with three scarecrows in in a bench outside their house 
Okay, well, the house that has the Christmas trees on was is owned by the sweet, like, a Chinese family. Like, they have their Christmas tree out, and they have their own patio out front, just so they can specifically play mahjong. And they're all very sweet. And the one part that surprised me as well is, like, when we were having this photo shoot, my neighbors were really nice. Like, my Chinese neighbors were like, whoa, what the hell is going on? And they were so kind to offer us benches so every one of the crowd, like, every one of the crew can actually sit down because we were doing it in the middle of the heat wave. They were really invested in this photo shoot. Like, and they were really... I love this. Yeah, they were really giving kind feedback. But um, in terms of maybe your, the perspective people have of, like, Asia, I think also because in our school, we we're surrounded with a lot of East Asian affluence, like people mm-hmm. who are exchange students True. or they have money, right, to be there. Yeah. But the people in Richmond, the one thing is, like, yes, there are rich exchange students. Mm-hmm. But I would say... Uh, um that's like 40 60 40 percent maybe are like rich ex- exchange students but 60 percent of them are actually straight up immigrants there's a mm-hmm. lot of like self-starting businesses out in richmond and they're just out there like pretty much renewing their lives so um i think what at least that's probably why we got a really good and positive feedback from the neighbors to do a public photo shoot in the middle of the street like that is mm-hmm. because they're like oh we're out in the west this is so new to me yeah they did it it with such an enthusiasm i love that Mm -hmm. i love that you know what it's with photography and film you either get the currents of this world and i'm gonna get cancelled for saying this (laughs) you either get the people that are like why the fuck are you shooting in my front lawn like i don't want to be anything like they feel like they're being surveyed and like i i could give zero f's about it like i'm like Oh, darling, this is, yes, your house is private property, but shooting into your house is not private property. So I'm really sorry. But like, I'm not going to take a photo of your open window. Like, I don't care about the inside of your house. Like, it's a street, you know. Um, But then you also get sometimes like people that are so enthusiastic. They just like want to see and and, and things like that. I was just in Turkey and and obviously quite different. But um, I had, I was shooting at at a, bakery and the people that were bringing in their bread like they could just bring the bread and whatever and they were not in the shot um but they all just like chilled out like there was a crowd of like 30 people watching the camera what we were trying to shoot and it's just you know it it's normal and it's and it's exciting and people were like showing us like oh they also have tobacco leaves here like do you want to shoot that as well and, and and i love that like people really supporting like the filmmaking or the creative and, and stuff like that i love it well i understand both sides of it because it can like mm-hmm. for some people it can feel really in it can feel invasive especially without yeah, any sort so i totally understand that but at the same time though like we're not even filming your house we're filming the street yeah exactly i'm not saying like i'm i'm shooting i'm sitting down in your front lawn and i'm taking a photo into your house like definitely no, not no, no. like for that you need permission and mm-hmm. and you actually don't but but you ask for permission but But otherwise some people are super sensitive no don't worry i totally get it because we we nearly got into a lot of trouble making this photo shoot i don't want to disclose any well basically like um yeah we did get into a little bit of trouble doing one of the photos but then we decided to move it off into the other side of the property and then the shoot went smoothly and then a lot of the people 
because I'm an overthinker. A lot of people in my crew is like, Rina, please stop overthinking. You're going to be totally fine. But yeah. yeah, it's, it's a, it's in my opinion, it's a give, it's a give and take, but I was definitely very lucky that pulling off this shoot was a complete success because my neighbors were very supportive. That's it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I want to say to people, you're probably hearing this conversation and you're thinking like, oh, like they just did it for fun. It's going to look normal. Like this is a freaking campaign. Like it looks incredible. Um, you have to see it. It's like the quality of the production that people are putting out there on their spare time to create a portfolio is what you would expect to see in billboards. Like this is the work I see going forward in fashion, which is a lot more explorative, a lot more creative. And and I love, I wanna say something, parentheses, I worked in advertising. And the reason that I went into advertising is that I just freaking love how it can be in some occasions, not every time, so crazy. You just do crazy shit. And, and someone pays for it. <laughs> Cancelled again. <laughs> I mean, that's like, y'all, that's, I mean, that's kind of how it works. The same thing also happens in fashion editorials. They just give you a budget to work with and they're like, here's money, make me a story. Yeah. yeah. And and I think that's the thing, like editorial fashion. I remember when I was a model, we remember these times. Uh, <laughs> nobody would believe now. Nobody would believe now. But um, I always got told like, you know what, you're going to get paid pennies for editorial pennies mm. yeah you will get paid a lot to do um Commercial. like either sample works or like um what's the name the, the books the book that you have like all of the the clothing and then they just take photos oh like catalog yeah catalog yeah <laughs> i can't believe i forgot that okay catalog work pays a shit ton and people yes. actually don't think about this editorial pays pennies but you're yes. not going to go and be like, look at my catalog work. It's great. I'm a great model. Like, no, because in re I mean, you might have it, but they can tell from your measurements if you are good for catalog or if you're not good for catalog. But editorial is where you can tell if someone knows how to pose, if they know how to transfer emotion and, and if they're exactly. easy to work with and if they are enthusiastic and like nobody's going to choose a model that has no fucking clue what they're doing for an editorial. Yeah, yeah, on the topic of mod on the topic of models, yeah, I mean like, well, I don't want to diverge off of it because I can really talk about this on and on, you know, and especially when you wanna you wanna tackle something like fashion. Like fashion, yes, we want fashion to be diverse, but number one, you have to have charisma and you need to know how to pose for your body and you need to know how to transform. Like, you know, you're you're not gonna survive in this industry trying to copy the Kardashians. You're you mm -hmm. need to trans you need to transform. Fashion is like when we bleach your eyebrows, obviously it's not gonna be permanent. You're you know you can't be like I can't do that. It's going to ruin my image. Honey, this is fashion. We don't care how like you're tell you're the one your body's telling the story. We have to bleach your eyebrows for this. Mm -hmm. Things like that. Yeah. It's you know, you know, you're not there to look pretty. You're there yeah. to tell a story. Yeah, for sure. Obviously, like they let you know that they're gonna bleach your eyebrows before. Of course, but beforehand, or they tell you that there's gonna be extreme permanent changes or things like that. But yeah, uh, obviously permanent. But I think that you know that is that is one of those things that it's like your model is kind of like 
a medium to deliver your uh, styling and the pieces that you're putting together and your artwork and and they become almost like um, an extension of your work so mm -hmm. working with good models makes that's very important yes and, and i wanted like... to ask you about oh yeah sorry yes, yes no no no. you go ahead no because i'm gonna deviate the topic so you tell me <laughs> okay well no, okay well what i was going to say is just like you know for your practice in filmmaking or even like in my role for like filmmaking photography fashion styling for models too this is why it's essential for you to also have a good portfolio hundred percent hundred percent you're Not gonna get some piece. people you you get some people that you go and you do kind of like test shoots with and like more like chill stuff and then as the day progresses you end up doing some editorial weird shit like this has happened to me like i used to log around two suitcases full of clothing and i had so much shit um i'm a different person now i, I am very i still have a lot of stuff but i you know but i you had yeah, I've downsized. I just became uh, like, I don't know, I've changed in my ways, but I used to log around two suitcases full of clothing of all kinds. I even came with my own makeup just in case that something was not happening, my own hair tools, everything. And there were times that I came in for like a very like um, people that wanted to start doing books for like models and stuff. And they were like, oh, I just need a few models to show that I can do this. And by the end of it, it was the craziest shit. Like I was like covered in colored paint. Like it was so fun. I loved it. Um, <laughs> but now I'm going to deviate this. It's still on the topic, but for that specific shoot. So you're telling me that you shot in Richmond and everything like that. I am mm -hmm. kind of interested where um, using people of color um, came from because like the models striking, it just, it, it is, it's just so captivating, but I, I want to know like how that became part of that narrative. That was Gustavo's idea. And mm -hmm. also that he, um, that was essential because a lot of the pieces I'm doing and the styling mm -hmm. I'm doing are crazy. And then we, and there's colorful. This thing, and colorful and which is funny because everybody's now trying to be super edgy. Mm -hmm. Well, anyway, I want like ugh, Y2K edgy, but okay. I, that's another topic for another day. But with the, basically, the reason why we chose people of, of color is because the I, this narrative of suburban lifestyle is very inherently white. So it's also kind of thinking like you can also put yourself, from my perspective, is putting yourself maybe from a perspective of an immigrant integrating into suburban culture. That's probably the story that you can take. But having Sudanese models um, was Gustavo's idea because practically speaking, these pieces are clunky, they're so much texture, they're large, they're shiny, and they won't look the same way on a model who is probably five feet six or five feet seven. We need women who are going to be towering over us. Like they're gonna be wearing mm -hmm. heels under six feet two, right? Yeah. We need them to be tall. We need them to look like real fashion, like, you know, stereotypically fashion models, even though there yeah. is a cry, like, we understand that there needs to be diversity in fashion mm -hmm. that is important yeah. but at the same time though what we need is people to deliver the impact that we intend and yeah. because I, I guess it's it's a matter of he said like it's a matter of proportion and 
Gustavo has been really essential in my growth as a fashion stylist. So Gustavo, if you're listening, I love you. It's because like um he really helped me even put much more I'm repeating myself, but yeah, put much more perspective in my approach in styling, not just as a fashion designer, but also reminding myself of my roots. At, sorry, reminding me. Oh my gosh, I'm not making sense. Sorry, he's reminding me of my core as a character designer, not just from the storytelling aspects, but also reminding me of the technical aspects. So one of the things that um I like to, I talk about with people who are starting off as stylists is like, um, Having an understanding of story is essential, but mm -hmm. the technical skills as a stylist of what makes you good is your ability to create, um, your ability to manipulate the negative space around the mm -hmm. model. Yeah. So the reality is of our, because the thing that pisses me off the most about my job and everybody, like everybody understands why it's essential, but it still pisses me off is a lot of really good good stylists or published stylists out there is because they have access to designer goods and by having access to designer goods they just literally throw clothes on the subject on the model actor whoever and they get recognition for it a good stylist is i'm gonna throw you a garbage bag and i want you to make it work on the model like yeah. so that's why having his idea of using these really tall models was essential because having these large pieces on them made the proportions work in accordance to their negative space. That was yeah. pretty much, that was my perspective. And that was his suggestion. By taking his suggestion, it helped me elevate my perspective. I hope that makes sense. That totally makes sense. And I think that, you know, there's, it, it's so cohesive because I think that like the black skin with the colors make it pop on the one hand. On the other hand, you have, as you're saying, the negative space, there's so much, like the shots are quite wide and there's like, they're super tall, elongated figures. And then you have like pieces that are just kind of like super, I don't know, coming out she of everywhere. A, I mean, she had like this feather butterfly yeah. outfit. It's literally the shape of a butterfly, right? Yeah. It will look completely different. Like if I'm going to put this on a, and I am going to get hate for this, I'm going to put this on an influencer who is like five feet six. Yeah. It's not going me. to, <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to create the same impact, it, especially me. I'm five feet three. I'm 160 centimeters. I'm going to wear this butterfly outfit. I'm going to look like an Oompa Loompa, you know? Like, unless, <laughs> unless unless that's the story unless that's the intention we're trying to do yeah but we we had to make it like like i said we had to make it crazy but make it fashion all of the proportions has to work properly and that's mm -hmm. the thing that people tend to forget about fashion photography it's not the mm -hmm. storytelling aspect how mm -hmm. does a negative space surround itself on the subject because the thing is it's like you want to manipulate proportions because mm -hmm. especially in a like what's great about collaborative projects is that you can have an input but then mm -hmm. in most cases the director is gonna say like okay this is our model and i'm gonna be like oh mm -hmm. my god this model is five feet three well i want her mm -hmm. to wear something crazy so the thing is like i'm just thinking okay she's short they want her to be in really dynamic silhouettes how am i going to make this work with her proportions because i can't just throw crazy things on her it's mm -hmm. just going to look horrible you have to think about the negative space so yeah that's that's essentially like um what was going through my head so choosing black models 
in the end, it ended up having a story impact. But then yeah, for sure. with, with Gustavo's opinion, it had more of a technical impact. And mm -hmm. then all of them just came together. That's a summary of the answer. I love that. And I, you know, I think one thing that I, I picked up on, and I don't know if actually that came from the styling, like the fashion styling or from the hair styling, or if it was like together, the culture of wearing wigs and how important wigs are uh, for black people. And, and I am saying this obviously from an outsider perspective, but I love when all my friends and classmates were like all these different hairstyles and, and they just take incredible chances. I love the braids. I love the color. It's so explorative. And I think that in a way you bring that into the photography through all the wigs and all the color that you're adding and all the different proportions. Um, like I just, to me, it's so cohesive to the core. No, I just couldn't even tell that it was Richmond. It's the only thing. <laughs> Well, the wigs. Well, the wigs were a were a push and pull between Gustavo Rio, the hairstylist who is a god, and myself because I was Gustavo gave me really good feedback as well because I was in a very hesitant creative direction perspective because in a collaborative effort it's truly collaborative. Like there's mm -hmm. no really true like there is one idea but there's no real director and I didn't want to feel like I was stepping on anybody's toes especially mm -hmm. in an industry where everybody really takes their job seriously. So I wanted mm -hmm. creative input, but Gustavo's opinion to like um, feedback for me, sorry, was that um, I need to really have be very straightforward with what I wanted. So it was really a push and pull. I created some sketches of what type of hair I was imagining these models to be wearing, but mm -hmm. it was Rio who took it a step further. I didn't mm -hmm. like, I gave him an idea but mm -hmm. then the rest I never touched. I love that. And I think that, you know, I love how you're saying this. It's kind of like acknowledging all the people that are in a photo shoot. It's really easy to take, um, like, you know, like not even take responsibility or like um, the praise for something, but also to just kind of like go with, okay, yeah, this part that I did was so great. But, you know, the greatness of what we do is a cohesion between all of the works from everyone and you have to trust all of your crew or at least yes. the main people the decision makers to really like impact the way that things are gonna look like because you all have to have the same you have like a, a shared vision you know like it's a vision that it's not the same but is shared in the in the sense that you have the same goal at the end of the mm -hmm. day i love that mm -hmm. Thank you. I'm going to take this into kind of like the end of our conversation, um, but I definitely would love to have you again and, and sh share more because I think that, you know, for people really listening to this, I know a lot of people love the kind of like fashion part and then they don't know how to get into it. That um, a lot of us, you know, like love fashion, video, fashion, everything, but we, we kind of on the outside but this is super super special that you shared i'm gonna start with my crazy questions um <laughs> that people dread and love i think that don't think about it too much um what would be the advice that you would give yourself when you were starting in this fashion period of your life um 
to be honest, I don't think I have. Okay, number one. Okay. I felt like I did a really good job when I was starting out because I really just did it purely out of self-initiative. Like, especially in a city like Vancouver, where there's zero sort of like cohesive resources in helping you get into fashion. Um, but I just really put my hand through everything from retail, growing into business management, um, working from fashion, like in a fashion design house. Like I really took initiative to learn as much as I wanted to. And I think by setting that intention, you will just deliberately bring yourself to places where you never thought you would. And I have another question. So you're quite eclectic. I, I have no idea what you're going to answer, by the way. I want to get something that you think people should go and listen or hear or like just any art, any thing, art medium, choose. What do you want people to go see today? Okay, to number one, um, get Crunchyroll and watch anime. I'm yeah. not joking. Really watch anime. It's storytelling. It's a matter of storytelling, right? But then mm -hmm. there's like some really, really good anime where they really take into account the details of storytelling, like, um, and subtleties of create. Because um, the thing that separates anime from Western media is that it's all about creating the textures of world building, right? Mm -hmm. Even if you watch romance, it's very corny and campy because they're just like what the hell they're just holding hands and suddenly there's drawing of roses everywhere i mean that's the point this is just this is the textures of the emotions that they're creating that's what you want to mm -hmm. do and that's what you kind of want create want to recreate when you look at an image what does it make you kind of feel does it excite you mm -hmm. the other half on the subject of world building is my favorite video game is bioshock the entire series I can literally play that for the whole month, which I did before I left because I didn't bring my PS4 with me. When I came to Seoul, I'm like, I'm going to play all my favorite games. And it is about world building, right? There are audio, like there are so many parts that you can explore because this time in this game, you're playing from a third person point of view and you're touching, you're literally touching and interacting with everything. And all of them tells a story and they build upon this world. And what excites mm -hmm. me about playing this game is no matter how many times I play it, the game is different. And that's kind of the one of the things that I want to bring upon when I do my fashion styling. Mm -hmm. That's why I love it. It's so great. Um, okay, now another question that I think is going to be the crazy one, which people <laughs> always get confused about. But <laughs> I am hoping that you have a good answer because all good answers are good answers. If you were in this island and then you have the opportunity to get dropped some music or video or photos or whatever from only one culture one i would say one country it can be one culture what would it be from very easy for me byzantine culture byzantine okay no wait i thought you were gonna say korean <laughs> what byzantine culture Okay, you okay, you have a little explanation to do here. Culture just because it's a cultural it was a cultural melting pot and they're trying to see what they can do to accept different cultures and um different religions all at the same time while trying to see what they can do to remain inherently I put air quotes on this Roman 
And because mm -hmm. of that, it was creating so much of a push and pull. And I think that really kind of fascinates me because I think a lot of what they were doing is very reflective of what's kind of happening right now. Because now that the world is so much more hyper aware of itself, now that the internet exists and now people from across cultures can connect with one another, I kind of mm -hmm. see that same sort of tension of what was going on through that period when the Eastern Romans and Western Romans were going up against it, you know, up against each yeah. other. So they I were completely to, different, yeah. They're completely different. And I want to, like, that's one of the things that I kind of want to explore. Like, mm -hmm. the tension, like, that cultural tension of what was going on during that period really, really fascinates me because it also ends up impacting into the Renaissance period. And yeah, period. it definitely. Definitely, so I think... I, I love that answer. I am very passionate about that actually as well. And uh, I was just in Turkey, so, but yeah, definitely. I thought it was going to be something quite current. <laughs> <laughs> not going to lie, not going to lie. I mean, like here, I, here it is like, for me, history is just very fascinating to me because like history is, is just excellent PR marketing and telenovelas to me. But yeah. I think just it, it really is. But Byzantine culture is um, just it's just fascinating because there's still so much intrigue that needs to be um, resurfaced because unfortunately, a lot of aspects of it have been lost. But it's really exciting and interesting for me. And I want to do I do want to visit Turkey someday. I want to go visit Middle East again someday and all of that stuff. It's very fascinating to me. That's why I love it. Definitely. Well, if you ever move to the side of the world, you're going to be quite close. Wait, you mean move? To... Well, I'm already considering what it would take to move to the UK, so maybe not for long. Well, we'll see. I'm hoping we'll see. that you come here and then we'll reunite. <laughs> Yay! Oh, well, let's hope that I do really, really well here first. So that's the most important part. Yes, that number one. And um, I will be watching you closely watching your steps and everyone please look at Rina's uh, Instagram. Rina, can you give us your handle for oh people to look you up? Um, I have to look it up because I decided to do something really silly and make it really cute. Um, you can do my professional portfolio, which is at R-O-E-N-A-O-N-G. Or if you want to see my chaotic life, vlogging from behind the scenes of what it's like living in Korea. Mine is at H-E-Y-Y-Y-R-O-O-O-O-O. Basically, it's supposed to say hero, like hero. But <laughs> yeah, if you want to see like, because there's always so much glamour behind fashion. I'm just like, no, you want to know how a fashion stylist operates life? You're going to get the entire chaotic part of it, everything. Yeah. And they all impact my work. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for being so open, for sharing all of this with us, your thought process, your process through creating, storytelling, working with people, also kind of like the struggles and the, and the, and the good parts of being uh, a stylist, 
becoming a stylist from a different point of view. And, and I think this is going to be really helpful for people that are potentially thinking about that or that are about to start embarking on making a film and thinking about the kind of styling that they want to do uh, for their film. Thank you so much. And I really hope you enjoyed this as well. That's okay. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Mm, that's super lovely. And then until the next time.